Hey, Sarah here. Summer is fast approaching, and here's what I propose. A relaxed and simple summer that offers just enough structure to keep those long, sticky days from melting into chaos, and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. Also, fairy tales. Lots of fairy tales. (laughs) I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer, and I would love for you to join me. Save your free seat at the workshop by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. See you there. You're listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that inspires you to build your family culture around books. Hey there, Sarah McKenzie here, your host for the Read Aloud Revival podcast. I have a treat for you today. In fact, I have been so excited about this episode that we did something rather unprecedented here at the Read Aloud Revival. Usually, we publish a new episode for you every other Tuesday. This time, I couldn't wait that long. After recording this episode with today's guest, I knew you'd want to have it in your ears as soon as possible so you could stock up on the books we recommend and make some really great plans for your Advent and Christmas. So we rushed our little selves through all the pieces of getting the interview up and onto the airwaves for you, and we're publishing early. Now, before we get into it, I have two important announcements to make. First, if you haven't heard yet, we are having John Erickson, creator of the infamous Hank the Cowdog series, live inside Read Aloud Revival membership. This is our next live author access event, and it's happening Sunday afternoon, December 13th. All members at the Read Aloud Revival have seats saved for them at this live event. And what will happen is Mr. Erickson will be on screen live, ready to answer your kids' questions about Hank and all of his adventures. Your kids can type their questions into the chat box and your whole family can participate in the experience. These are my very, very, very favorite parts of the Read Aloud Revival membership. So if you aren't a member yet, head to readaloudrevival.com and click on the button that says Discover Membership to find out more. You can join for a month, see if you like it, and you'll get into the live event with John Erickson along with everything else in membership, which is a whole lot, actually. And if you don't love it, you can get your money back. So there's truly no reason not to give it a try. That brings me to our second announcement, which is that gift subscriptions are now available to Read Aloud Revival membership. So if you've got grandparents or family members that are asking what your family wants or your kids want for Christmas, but you're tired of filling up your house with more toys and more stuff that just clutters up your space and makes you crazy, I think you'll love this option. We had a lot of requests to put together a gift option, and so we did it. Also, if someone in your life who you know would be blessed by the opportunity to build up their family culture around books, if you have someone like that in mind, this is a perfect gift for them too. So we're for a limited time, we're offering three, six, and 12-month gift memberships to the Read Aloud Revival. You can head to readaloudrevival.com to find out more about that. What happens is when you buy a membership for someone or when someone buys a membership for you, that time, that three, six, or 12 months, it doesn't start ticking until the gift recipient activates the membership. So you can buy it now and give it whenever. You can buy it and save it for birthday. You can buy it and give it at any time during the holiday season. 
And Read Aloud Revival membership gives them access to everything, all of our live author events, our masterclass trainings, the member-only forum, all of our bonus resources, member-exclusive deals. Oh my goodness, lots of stuff. And if you know of some little kids, boys especially, but any little kids who haven't quite fallen in love with books yet, maybe give them that gift membership before December 13th so they can hang out live with John Erickson at our next live author access event. That just might do the trick. And of course, the author events are always available to our members as replays forever. So even if you can't make it on the 13th, you can still participate. All right. Are you ready for today's show? Let me warn you, you're about to be inspired to the hilt to read aloud through Advent and Christmas in your home. And you're also about to get a bajillion book recommendations. So don't worry. You don't have to write all of these down. You don't even need to try. We have all the books mentioned in this episode of the podcast, as well as links to articles and resources we mentioned during the show at readaloudrevival.com. Just look for episode 36. Now, let me introduce you to a very, very good friend of mine. Elizabeth Foss is a very good friend of mine. She's the mother of nine children, ranging in age from 6 to 26. And she's also Nona to her very first granddaughter, Lucy. She writes about big family and gentle, grace-filled rhythm at her site, In the Heart of My Home, at elizabethfoss.com. And she's also a featured columnist for the Arlington Catholic Herald, where she's written an award-winning family life column for 21 years. Her writing has been featured in Faith and Family Magazine, Catholic Digest, Catholic Exchange, EWTN, Sunday Visitor, and The Washington Post. And she's also authored two of my favorite books, one which has had a major impact on the way I homeschool and teach my children is Real Learning, Education in the Heart of the Home. And she's also co-authored a book with Danielle Bean, Small Steps for Catholic Moms. Elizabeth writes about her faith and her family's Christmas and Advent traditions on her site. And today she's joining us to talk about the best books to read with your children this Christmas season. Hey, Elizabeth, I am so glad to finally have you on. Hey, Sarah, this is fun. I appreciate your getting up early over there on the West Coast. Well, in relative quiet, right? Yeah, relative. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think I would have been up early anyway, because we have two little people trying to join me and they keep coming over to the door and shaking the handle. But... <laughs> Um, it's fun to be able to do this early. And yeah, yeah it's kind of tricky to navigate our time difference. It is definitely that. Okay, so tell our listeners who may not be familiar with your work, tell us a little bit more about you. Okay, so I am the mom of nine, as you said, and my oldest is married and they have a little girl. So we have a granddaughter who joins us actually quite frequently, my daughter-in-law comes and hangs out at our house a few times a week. And so we still have toddlers here when we're homeschooling. We are a homeschooling family. We've been a homeschooling family from the beginning. Mike and I married right out of college and I was teaching first grade in a special needs public school. Gosh, well, I started teaching the week we got married, which I just seem to have a knack for doing all sorts of life-changing events at once. <laughs> You do. That is totally true. Oh, that's true. a good day. You know, let's teach your first week of school ever and get married on Saturday. Oh my so, gosh, that's hilarious. I have no idea, you know, whatever. <laughs> we survived. But that year, that teaching year was really terrible. I mean, the school situation was probably a, I mean, it was a less than ideal public school setting with a less than ideal staff support system. I mean, all kinds of things about that year 
were not good. And I was pregnant by December. So I was fighting hyperemesis the whole rest of the year. And I had um, won a scholarship in college that required that I teach for two years. So when Michael was born at the end of September of the second year, by this time I was in a different school, but I had a new baby and I was teaching again. And from the perspective of being the mom of a new baby and kind of what I wanted to do as a teacher and what I wanted to do as a mom and homeschooling was not nearly as well publicized or well supported back then. So I was, oh, 27 years ago. But there was this, you know, a couple of little books. And I remember one night, my mother-in-law was taking care of Michael. And I remember one day after work, going to pick him up. And I, we stayed for dinner or something. And they were watching the nightly news. And I saw a show about the Colfax family and homeschooling for excellence. And I thought, wow, that's a thing. Like, you could actually stay home with your kids and teach your own kids. That would be ideal. Because I did want to teach, but I didn't want to be away from my kids. And I really was frustrated by not being able to teach the way I wanted to in the structured school setting. Right. So one thing led to another. We read probably all three books that were out at the time (laughs) (laughs) on homeschooling. And Mike was all in. I mean, just right from the very beginning, there was never any persuading or anything like that. I and know that. we decided, okay. yeah. So we decided that that was what we were going to do from the time that he was really little. And the next year I got cancer. So that kind of was like, oh, well, this is an interesting thing. I was 24 and chemo and radiation. And that year, really, we sat around and read books. And that's what we did all day long. I didn't have the energy for much more than that. And we just read and read and read. And it was the beginning of a habit of reading. So reading aloud was there from the very beginning. In the course of the, you know, last 27 years, we had eight more babies. And just they, you know, that whole make a decision to homeschool every year thing. I mean, I kind of really always thought we were in it for good. And we've homeschooled through high school. I have four high school graduates now and four different colleges. And um, which has been very interesting from that perspective. Another time we could talk about colleges because it's been very interesting to compare what they're learning and, and how things are structured in each individual school. But they've all homeschooled all the way through high school. It's always been really literature intensive and very picture book intensive up through later than you might imagine in terms of picture books. We've always homeschooled from the paradigm that a good picture book can teach pretty much anything you'll find in any elementary textbook, you can find a better way to do it with a picture book. So I love that. That's kind of the, your, yeah. you know, I have to say, because I read your book very early on in my own homeschooling journey. I was reading voraciously, but your book had easily the most impact on me in those early days. And I really think the only reason that our home has been so focused and centered on literature has been because I read your experiences uh, I mean, I think it's just, it's who we are. And my kids aren't even aware of how influenced by books that they are sometimes because it's just part of the warp and weft of our family. They will now say, oh, where did we read that? Or how did we, you know, and and they all have their favorites and they all have their own little bent. For instance, I'm a huge fan of historical fiction and none of my first four really liked historical fiction. Actually, nobody really liked historical fiction until Katie, who is my seventh, which is to me so strange because I love it and none of them were into it. Michael is a huge C.S. Lewis fan and always has been. C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and Patrick absolutely has 
is almost no tolerance whatsoever for fantasy. He has no willful suspension of disbelief whatsoever. <laughs> and he just wants the facts. And a lot of his reading of fiction was, you know, kind of forced on him because he was listening to it as it was read aloud on the car. Yeah. And he swears now he'll say, we didn't read that. And everybody will say, well, yeah, we do. Don't you remember that trip to so-and-so? And now we realize that he was zoning out a lot of the time. Oh, that's funny. That um, yeah. he really didn't get nearly as much as I thought he did. <laughs> but he's a reader. And the picture books, I think, made more of an impact on him because okay. the visual was important with him. So okay. something for everyone. Okay, so one of the things you say on your site was from the time your oldest son, who's now 26, is that how old Michael is? Uh, he just turns 27. Okay, so, so from the time he was a little boy, picture books have been the pegs upon which you've hung your Advent celebrations. So tell us more about that. What does that look like? So I've always kind of had a fondness for picture books. And I remember in college, the university bookstore was right across from like the coffee shop. And I would go over there and there was a little corner that was that had a few picture books, you know, because it was a university bookstore. There really wasn't a reason for picture books. But I was always drawn to those. And I've had a little extra money. I started, you know, buying them and kind of starting my own little collection and not even so much thinking about my children at the time. You know, I was going to teach in a Montessori school and that was going to be my beginning of my classroom, you know, collection of picture books. So I've always, always loved picture books. And when Michael was little, probably that first year, someone gave us a couple of, of Christmas picture books and we read them and we went to the library and got more. And somewhere early on, a theme kind of emerged in my mind that, wow, you know, if you really had a collection of these, whether you borrowed them every year or you started to accumulate a collection of these and you organize them kind of chronologically, you could pretty much celebrate all of Advent and Christmas with a different book every day or two or three or I don't know, sometimes we have four or five a day. And so that's what we did. And I really deliberately set about to, you know, look for books that, you know, the, the books about preparation and making merry, things like Merry Christmas Streganona or Deck the Halls, something that in the beginning, when you're doing the whole decorating part of Christmas, and then, you know, the week you go to get your tree, there's a lot of really fabulous Christmas tree books out there. And so you read those and, you know, books about the manger and, you know, there's something for everything. There really is. So, so our Christmas or our Advent traditions really do look kind of bookish. And we do tag books to the traditions and vice versa. I mean, sometimes the traditions grow out of the books. Like we have a day every year for, I don't know, probably for the past six or so years that my kids call Peppermint Day. And it yes. kind of sprung out of the legend of the candy cane by Lori Wahlberg. And it's a story about a little girl named Lucy who helps a stranger in town unpack boxes in his new store. And she discovers that his store is a candy store. And the owner shares the legend of the candy cane. And when it's held upside down, it's a J for Jesus. And the red stripes represent his suffering. And, and then they they have a, a party for the whole neighborhood or the whole town. And that book really kind of begs to be a project because Lucy and the Candyman go to every house in town and they leave candy canes with the legend written on them and an invitation to the store. And I'm not 
you know, going to entertain the whole town, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe one day. But I've been known to invite a few neighborhood children over to enjoy candy canes and cookies and homemade peppermint marshmallows and peppermint hot chocolate and, you know, read Christmas stories. And I can do the same thing and have done the same thing with Jan Brett's gingerbread books, oh, which yes. I technically aren't Christmas books, but they have a real Christmas feel to them. Yes. And they're so beautifully done. So you read, you know, The Gingerbread Baby, and I think he's got a sequel, and, and maybe even a couple of the other Christmas trolls, kind of Nordic, Jan Breddish books, and that's the perfect day to decorate Christmas gingerbread houses. You know, like, you're just inspired by those illustrations as well as by the story to, you know, make your own little Nordic gingerbread house. So, so those are the things that we do. And then some more liturgical things also. Tommy DePaula has several really excellent books that follow the liturgical season of Christmas of Advent. And so we start with some of the early ones like Merry Christmas, Dragonona and the Country Angel Christmas. And, and then he has uh, The Night of the Posadas. Oh my goodness. I love and, that book. Yep, and Our Lady of Guadalupe, both. And The Legend of the Poinsettia. And all three of those make for a really nice like cluster of days. The Feast of Juan Diego and Our Lady of Guadalupe are right there together so that you can you can kind of spread those books out over a couple of days, make Mexican hot chocolate, make Mexican food. We've created little poinsettia ornaments. You know, so there, and that's the second week of Advent. Our Lady of Guadalupe is the 12th. And so that that's the peg that you can hang that little stretch of time. And then the 13th is St. Lucy's Day, which became a much bigger deal last year because now we have a, our very own Lucy. You're right. Right. So <laughs> Michael's daughter's name is Lucy. And so we're all about trying to make St. Lucy's Day even more than it was. But it's always been a thing for us. I mean, uh -huh. we've always celebrated St. Lucy's Day. And my girls get up early in the morning and they make cinnamon buns and wake the boy and they have candle wreaths on their heads and they wake the boys. And I have I'm trying to remember the name of the my favorite St. Lucy book. It's um, Lucia, Saint of Light. Yes. Which right. actually mm -hmm. tells the St. Lucy story. I mean, there are, I love, well, I'm going to say it's Melissa Wiley's book, but it was written, I don't think it was written under her name, the Hannah Anderson book mm -hmm. on St. Lucy's Day. But the St. Lucia, the Lucia, Saint of Light book, you know, is, is a really meaty book that tells the story. And then because it's the day of light, that's the day that we put everybody in the car a lot of times in their pajamas at night when they were little. I don't put my teenagers in their pajamas, but. Um, <laughs> just and, clarifying there. <laughs> right, just clarifying. And that's the night we drive the neighborhood and look at lights. Um, there's also a fabulous light festival nearby in the same park where we go to Bluebells in the spring. They have an unbelievable light, light festival. So St. Lucy's Day is the perfect day to do that because she's the saint of light. But there again, you know, we've, we've got a book for it. St. Nicholas Day. I love The Baker's Dozen by Heather Forrest. It's a story of generosity. Too. And that's a good day for us to bake cookies because, you know, you can order St. Nicholas cookie cutters from stnicholascenter.org and do St. Nicholas cookies that day. But that could also be the cookie baking day, you know, where you just kind of tag it and do it that day. I think maybe my favorite, it's so hard. I was thinking about this today. You know, if somebody asked me, what was your very favorite, favorite, favorite of all? And I think 
It might be the miracle of Saint Nicholas by Gloria Whelan. Oh my goodness! Okay, we just finished another book by her. Have you read Listening for Lions? It's kind of a tangent, but no. Okay. Oh my goodness! You need it's a chapter book, but you need to. You need to. (laughs) It started out so tragically sad that I kind of thought, I don't know about this. I get into. Yeah, somebody on the Read Aloud Revival team sent it to me and said, "You need to read this." And as I was reading it, I thought, I don't know about this because I just started reading it aloud to the kids without previewing it. It was amazing. And then one of the lovely ladies in our community, Debbie Wallace, she read it to her kids and she said that might be one of the best books we've read together. So Gloria Whelan. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So The Miracle of St. Nicholas is the, a picture book. Yes. yes. And it's okay. beautifully illustrated. Um, it's published by the folks at Bethlehem Books, which I think they work really hard to do a really nice publishing job. And it's the story of Alexei, who's a Russian child, and his grandmother tells him of the soldiers who closed St. Nicholas Church many years ago. And when he asks why they can't celebrate Christmas, she tells him it would take a miracle. And what has happened is all the little pieces of the church have been hidden in the homes of the villagers to keep them safe when it was illegal to practice any religion whatsoever. Mm. And so they're kind of, there's kind of been kept a secret and the little boy believes in miracles. It's my sentimental favorite, I think, for a couple of reasons. I Two of my children's godparents are Eastern Orthodox. So it's nice for my kids to see. I mean, these are things that they have seen in their home and yeah. their godparents' homes. And that appreciation of Eastern religious art is really nice. There's nice icons throughout the text. But the story is just, every time I read it, I get chills. I don't want to spoil it at the end. It's just beautiful. And then the other thing I think for me right now that, that I love about the story is, Currently, our parish meets in a high school auditorium. Mm-hmm. It's been that way for way too long. Mm-hmm. Like we're way off the normal diocesan plan for building a church. I have uh, my basement's full of things from our church atrium. And other people in the parish have other things for the church when the church is built in their houses too. So for my kids, it's like, yeah, this is there. This is there. And even though we are celebrating mass in the gym and, you know, certainly the parallel isn't perfect. We can appreciate the idea that you keep these treasured things safe until the time when you have a church. Right. So this story is just beautiful and it's beautifully done and and I look forward to it every year. So so the miracle of Saint Nicholas is Saint Nicholas Day. And you know, and then as the as Advent goes on, then I start pulling out more journey books, you know, like Donkey's Dream or the On the Way to Bethlehem books and the Barnyard books and things like that. So that when we hit those two or three days right before Christmas and Christmas Eve, it's all about the nativity story. That's when all the nativity books come out. Okay. Okay. So this is begging a couple of questions that I okay. know people who are listening are going to be asking and are wondering why I haven't asked you yet. So <laughs> the first one is, do you plan all this out ahead of time? Like before the Advent and Christmas season, do you have a list of, you know, on December you know, eighth. I would assume that the ones that are pegged to actual dates. Sort of. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. So what I do, yes, the actual date ones are set in stone. And my kids, you know, now I don't even have anybody for whom this is new except Lucy. You know, my kids know, oh, that's coming on this day. Yeah. So on December twelfth, um, you're going to be right. reading Our Lady they of Guadalupe. Yeah. Yep, we're gonna pull it out and we're gonna read it and then it'll be there. So what I have done the last three or four years is as when Christmas is over and we're ready to pack everything away. I gather all the books and I sort them into stacks by week. So this is the first week of Advent. The second, just, you know, it's not perfect, but it's about what I think I want to have done. And I also keep in mind that the week between Christmas and Advent, 
uh, Christmas and Epiphany, but that stretch of time, it's the octave of Christmas, and then those few days before Epiphany are actually part of the Christmas season. And there are books to be read through that week. And that is actually where we have a lot of downtime. So I make sure that there are books to open still, you know, in that octave. So I don't feel like I have to fit it all in by the 25th. And then I also have Epiphany books like Oh, Befana. Oh, he's going to say that one. Is, yeah. You know, and The Tale of the Babushka. Those books are meant for Epiphany. Epiphany. So, so some of our listeners won't know what that is. So that's January 6th. And do you want to talk more about that just a little bit so they know where? Right. So it's the Feast of the Three Kings. And, you know, it's when the Catholic Church will traditionally celebrate the coming of the kings to the stable. Now, Old Bifana is an Italian story about a woman who, <laughs> an obsessive compulsive grandmother who was so busy cleaning her house <laughs> that, you know, when the group that was traveling to Bethlehem passed by her house and said, do you want to come with us? She said, oh, no, no, I have to do this. And she missed going to see the Christ child. But there are lots of traditions associated with Epiphany and those books go at the end. So I, I make this stack and it's actually a five-week stack. And so it's the four weeks of, of Advent and Christmas and then the after Christmas books. And I pull out anything that's date specific. So the St. Nicholas books are for December 6th, yep. for sure. And then the other ones, I just kind of, by this time I've started to actually set individual days and I just kind of move them around and then we wrap them. We take a big roll of paper from Costco and wrap the book. So a book a day for the most part on a feast day that we have more than one book, like we have the Miracle of St. Nicholas and we have the Legend of St. We have several St. Nicholas books. Then those might all be wrapped together. And I put the date on the paper like immediately. Okay. And it's such a great way to do this because you put them away and you've done so much planning right there at the front of January for when you're going to be super busy the day after Christmas or Thanksgiving, you know, this doesn't need to be done now. It's done. And so they're all wrapped. So they open one package a day. We are to the point where we have more books than there are days. Oh, wow. And so those don't get wrapped and they stay in a basket and they're there and available throughout the season. And then, of course, after you unwrap a book, they get put in baskets so that we revisit them throughout. And there have been years that I've planned entire unit studies around certain themes of Advent books, and it's all very, very planned. And now it's more just the living of it. And part of that is because we homeschool from a picture book perspective year round. Mm -hmm. So because I use a picture book to teach us about everything and because my kids are in the habit of, okay, what's the book for today? They know that we're going to do something with the book for today. And I have a list of ways to tell me about your book that's on my blog. That, oh, yeah, we'll uh, link to that. It's in for the sure. storybook year post, which kind of the storybook year post kind of explains the whole theory behind this. But so I have that list printed for my for my kids on the inside of their spiral notebooks with their assignments. Okay. And so frequently the assignment for the day is read the book, pick something, do it, kind of thing. Tell me about your book. Whatever you think works for that book, that's what you're gonna do today. And usually it's writing or art or or something like that. During Advent, I might interject a little bit more and influence that. Like I'll say, okay, well, today's gingerbread day. And mm -hmm. obviously what we're going to do is we're going to decorate these houses and, and we might play on the Jan Brett site or, or something like that. And 
it just becomes more of the same, but those books are the books that we do them with. Right. So we don't stop schooling and we actually don't really change the way we school. We just change the books. Okay, that's a perfect segue into what I wanted to ask you next, which was, I know that some people are probably listening to this and thinking, oh my goodness, I would never be able to add this on top of everything we've got going on for school. Now, the majority of our listeners are homeschoolers, but even for our listeners who have their kids in traditional school, they may even be overwhelmed by the idea of adding on traditions to an already busy season. So explain to me first, maybe how this looks as a homeschooler, how does this, does this feel like adding on? You said it feels like shifting because you homeschool from a picture book perspective. Tell me more about that first. Right. Okay. So it takes some of the pressure off actually, because with the exception of math, I don't attempt to do all the regular school day things. What I do attempt to do is lots of reading and writing across the curriculum using these books. So Instead of saying, oh my gosh, we have to add all of this to what we're already doing, it's, okay, instead of doing this, we're going to, for instance, we're going to do an author study on Tommy DePaula this week. Let's say it's the first week of Advent. And we're going to read his picture books, his Advent picture books, and there are lots of them. We'll study his art. He has a book that is suitable for older children that's called Oh, I think it's called Christmas Remembered or Tommy Remembers. That would be a perfect read aloud chapter book. I'll find the title for you. But uh, yeah, it's called Christmas Remembered. Okay, okay. And each chapter is an interesting autobiographical story of his really colorful life as an author and an artist. And there's just so much rich inspiration there for, okay, now you, you write a story about your Christmas. I mean, by the time a child's five, they have Christmas story to tell of their own. So that becomes the curriculum. You know, there's a lot of writing to be done and there's so much art in Christmas. You know, we look at all the icons that you might see in, in a book like the, the Miracle of St. Nicholas and that's studying one art form. And then you look at the Renaissance art around the nativity and there's another one and there are books that use that art as their illustrations. I love Brian Wildsmith has a gorgeous Christmas book that everything has like the pictures have gold around the edges of the outlines. And when we have read that book in the past, we have made pictures that look like that. It's, I think it's called A Christmas Story. And he has a really unique illustrating style and it comes out the very best in that book because the story is a, a simple rendition of the nativity story. It's told from this perspective of a child. so. That's going to inspire a child who might want to tell their own rendition of the nativity story. And this child, I think, is, I think she's been left to care for the young donkey when the donkey's mother carries Mary to Bethlehem. And the donkey misses his mother and Rebecca ends up in Bethlehem. But the paintings aren't simple at all. They're, they've got rich texture and color and mm -hmm. accents of gold. And I remember, I still have framed a picture that Michael did when he was little where we used oil pastels and he drew the picture and then we got a gold paint pen, like a fine tip paint pen, and he did all the gold trimming and it was gorgeous and a really worthwhile thing to do with a book. It makes the book stick. It makes the story stick. There's an art. So that's kind of it. Like we don't stop schooling for Advent and, you know, just do fun and games the whole time. 
But we also don't just heap more on. We use these books and this story and the rich liturgy that is that Advent season, and we make, we live the curriculum. And in the end, that's less stressful. You know, it's just because you're not feeling this tension between everything else you have to do and school. We'll get back to the show in just a minute. At the beginning of today's episode, I mentioned that what I propose for this summer is a relaxed and simple plan that offers just enough structure to keep your days from melting into chaos and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. And what summer wouldn't be much, much better with a whole bunch of fairy tales? Well, I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer And here's what we're going to talk about. First, how reading fairy tales can make your summer easier. Yes, easier. We want to take things off your plate this summer, not put more on, right? (laughs) Fairy tales can make your summer easier and more fun. I'm also going to share the fairy tales I recommend for every age and the tippy top thing you can do to make sure your kids make delightful memories this summer. It is way less work and way less pressure than you think. The free workshop is happening live online on May 7th, 2024, and you can save your free seat by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. And yes, there's a replay, so make sure you register even if you can't join us live on May 7th. Again, text the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. Well, one of the things you said on your site, on one of the posts on your site, is that Advent's intention is to awaken the most profound and basic emotional memory within us, namely the memory of the God who became a child. And it strikes me as you're talking about this that maybe, you know, Advent and Christmas can be a really stressful time for grownups who are trying to orchestrate everything, but maybe this is an ideal way for us to marry that vision we have of slowing down and savoring what Advent really means and what it has, the potential it has to have on changing us as humans with creating beautiful memories for our children. And so it seems like what you're telling me is that these aren't actually heaping on extra things. You're not at all just changing, no. transforming what's already right. there. Yeah. Right. And there will be, you know, I think as a young mom, you're like, okay, we need traditions, you know, and And some of those are traditions that will develop organically through the life of your family. You know, I, you don't try to create or force traditions, you know, you kind of have to prayerfully sift through what might make sense for your family and then be open to them coming up organically through the reading of the books, Peppermint Day and Gingerbread Day. Those are not things that I set out to do. Those are things where we read the book and they're like, oh, we should do that kind of thing. And I think that's it. Like, I think that those traditions are the ones that that stand the test of time and the ones that grow with you. You know, our gingerbread houses look a lot different now than they did 10 years ago. (laughs) I bet. And, you know, and and they all get, the the bigger kids still like to do it. And I, by the bigger kids, I mean the ones that are at home. That is something that I've had to learn to let go of a little bit. You know, two of my boys are at school now. And uh, my consolation with Michael is that now Lucy's here and for at least this Christmas Advent season, she's part of what we're doing. Right. So even though Michael isn't because he's at work, but Lucy is, 
And Kristen is kind of adapting some of these for herself and for their families. So that's nice. But some of my traditions have had to shift because my family has shifted. We've always done stockings on St. Nicholas Day, which is something I I loved so much. It kind of grew out of the kids wanted to do the traditional leave out shoes and have St. Nicholas fill your shoes yeah, on St. Nicholas Day. Uh-huh. And, and I was like, okay, wait, we're going to do shoes and then we're going to do stockings and then we're going to do presents. Like this is a financial, like I can't <laughs> yes. think like this. So, exactly. so for us, we adapted the tradition. I was like, okay, well, if we want to do this on St. Nicholas Day, then this is when we're going to do our stockings. And which is a beautiful thing because stockings are kind of, out of the way early in terms of shopping. Like it forces me to get that done. My kids, we've always put an ornament in the stocking. So each of them get an ornament for the tree. So there it is ready to put on the tree and enjoy. I usually put some kind of fresh little art, you know, a pack of markers or something like that. You know, things that, that kind of looking ahead to the season might be useful as they've gotten older, you know, gift cards, something to help them in their gift buying or Something so stockings have all, and I love them and the kids love them and that tradition of Saint Nicholas Day and stockings has always been a really fun one and then but two years ago two years ago and Michael that was the first Christmas that Michael was gone it was the first Christmas that Patrick and Christian were gone for Saint Nicholas Day mm-hmm. and it was like six weeks after my father-in-law had died and that Saint Nicholas Day is his birthday. Okay, I'm missing a third of my children. My father-in-law's gone. This day is nothing like it's been before because he always came to celebrate it with us. You know, he was like such a great St. Nicholas kind of person. He's such a heart for children. And so that was a rough transition. You know, what do we do with this tradition? Because the six kids left at home are very much attached to that tradition. And they're also grieving at that point. And, you know, poor Sarah says things like, you know, I don't think this is really fair. I'm the youngest and everybody else got to meet new babies. And I just say goodbye all the time. I'm just always saying goodbye. And it's really heartbreaking. So I am pushing to hang on to some of these things because I feel like I want them for her. So what we did was we took the stocking gifts that the boys would have had and we turned their stocking kind of into a care package and mailed it because that's exams right around that time. They're starting to gear up for final papers and exams and so instead of stocking, they got care packages to them. We delivered Patrick's to him, I think, and it sort of adapted. He was really, really, Patrick especially, feeling that being gone thing that first couple of weeks of Advent really hit him hard that year. I sent him a tree, you know, just a little three-foot tree yeah, yeah. because he was just kind of feeling feeling it for sure. Yeah. And last year... um, he changed up every first couple of weeks of Advent tradition we had because uh, he plays soccer very competitively. Um, he plays for the University of Virginia, and they kept winning and winning. Like I kept thinking, okay, this is going to be over, and I can stop scratching things out and writing in soccer. And uh, they kept winning, and we kept going, and they won all the way through. They won the national championship, so they played through December 14th. So I've just... You know, all the days I've told you about, St. Nicholas, Our Lady Guadalupe, Juan Diego, all the way up through St. Lucie, he obliterated it all. Right. <laughs> all we were doing, we're coming and going and running. And the nice thing is, you know, pixel books are really portable and I could take them with my kids. And some of these things we were able to do in somebody else's house because my dear friend who was in my wedding happened, thank God, 
to live in the town where the final championship tournament was. So we had a place to be and she had decorated for Christmas and there, you know, it was all good. So and you then, made the the traditions that yeah. were still so important, still so foundational to your family. Right. You just made them fit your life instead of so, making your life fit around this. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the championship is on the 14th. St. Lucy's Day is on the 13th. We drove around Lori's house, neighborhood and looked at lights that night. The St. Lucie bun wake up thing came like a week later okay. when everybody was home. Patrick actually had surgery right after that tournament, right after that championship. He needed to have his nose rebuilt. So it was pretty significant surgery and he came home pretty wiped out. And so we kept bumping St. Lucie along. I don't think we got to St. Lucie until the day before Nick's birthday, which is like December 20th. But we did it. We did do it. it I'm just so glad happened. you mentioned that because I think sometimes we get stuck on making it all look perfect or look like we think it should in our head, not realizing that our children are going to remember. Your kids are totally going to remember that you just did St. Lucie. That's what you do every right. year. And they're not, it's not and going we to. Did it. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and we have to, as our kids grow, I mean, especially as, as your kids hit their teen years where they have their own things and not just college kids, but Nutcracker is another thing yeah. that has really, and there are great Nutcracker picture books, and we have incorporated those, and we've incorporated Nutcracker ornaments in their stockings and things like that. But this year, Nutcracker, my kids will perform in the Nutcracker, I think it's the 4th and 5th of December. And we're going to be really busy leading up to then with Nutcracker things. So, you know, the idea is to adapt and work around and to incorporate it and make the Nutcracker books part of our repertoire. Especially with these last few little girls, you know, this is what they're doing right now. So rather than fight that, let's, you know, join I love in that. here. There's I a love great that. I think there's so much to learn there. That, yeah, there's a huge Nutcracker coffee book that Maurice Sendak illustrated. That's, I mean, you could make, you could use it for the entire month of December and not run out of things to do with it. And Nutcracker has, if you look at all the different dances, they come from different countries. Okay, so why why is the Arabian dance called the coffee dance? Well, why don't we go look at that? And why don't we look at what the Chinese tea dance and, and oh my gosh, Tchaikovsky, just listening to the soundtrack yeah, makes right. me happy. I love the Nutcracker music. And so incorporate it. But don't, I mean, we replace something with it. We don't try to just heap on, you know, because heaping on would make us all nuts by the end. It's almost counter. Well, it might not be almost. It pretty much is counter to what that whole season is meant to do for our hearts anyway. Okay, so talk to the mom who's a little bit overwhelmed, who maybe hasn't really done Advent picture books, Christmas picture books with their kids before, hasn't made reading those books or having these kinds of traditions a big piece of their family life. And she's listening to you and she's totally inspired and excited and wants this for her family, but she needs to start somewhere small. Where would you recommend she start? Okay. So if she wanted to do just one thing this year, I think that I would start with a Jesse tree. And I'm assuming you're going to do one thing because you're not exactly sure how this is going to play out and none of us have unlimited resources. I think that there's a, a huge benefit to building this library. So if you're a young mom and you're going to do one thing, I would start with the Jesse tree. And my favorite resource for that is Ann Voskamp's new book. It came out last year, Unwrapping Perfect. the Greatest Gift. Yep. The, the children book. The, it's called Unwrapping the Greatest Gift, a family celebration of Christmas. It's 
gorgeous. It's beautifully done. And what the Jesse Tree tradition does is it takes us through the memory album of salvation history. And we repeat it year after year after year because it's worth doing with children of every age because the memory takes on a more beautiful patina with the passing of time. So even though you're revisiting the same story, and even though you might use the same resource, it means something new every year. And it's a great way to just, this is our focus. This is our Christmas or Advent devotional time every year. Anne's book, like for a very young child, I would probably just look at the, there's a link to printing your own ornaments, like paper ornaments to make a Jesse tree. And I would probably retell the story in my own words, because I think little, little ones would have a hard time sitting for that story. It'd be just about trying to establish that relationship and that idea. But if you're, if you're starting with children of kindergarten age or or older, then Anne's book works and it works forever, really. I mean, it, it just means something more every year. So if you do one thing, one, one, one thing, that would be the one thing because it would take, it's something to do every day. It gets you in the habit of reading a story with pictures aloud every day. It gets you in the habit of counting the days to Christmas from a theological perspective every day. Yeah, actually, let's, it just occurred to me that maybe we should describe what a Jesse tree is for someone who maybe hasn't heard of it before. So a Jesse tree being, there's a symbol chosen for every day that tells the salvation story. Is it? Right. So you begin, the Jesse tree will begin in the Old Testament. And it's 25 stories pulled from the Old Testament through the birth of Jesus that kind of tell the salvation story and and the prophecies. And you see it building, you know, we're going to begin here and build up through the root of Jesse, and which is why it's named the Jesse tree, and trace salvation history up to the birth of Christ. And so for a young child, you know, you're talking about the apple and the garden and Adam and Eve and Jacob's ladder. And there's a a symbol, Noah's Ark, you know, all the way through every day, you hang a different symbol on a bare tree. And when you get to Christmas, you've hung 25 symbols and you've kind of traced our story in a very simple way from the beginning until the birth of the Savior. And so you've established the need for the Savior in the beginning. And you've seen how God had a plan all along to bring us Jesus. And Anne's book tells the story. The There's a retelling of the Bible story. And then there's a little devotional, meditational thing to do together and to think about. I think there are coloring pages too. They can color the printout of the ornament. So it's something to do with your hands and hang on the tree. And I think if you had to pick one resource to buy, to keep, to have forever, that's the one I'd have. And, you know, it's funny because somebody asked me recently on Facebook, I can't find your review of Anne's children's Advent Dressy Tree book. And I was like, well, I know I did it. And I went and looked for it, went and looked for it, and I couldn't find it. And I think maybe I talked about it on Facebook and I might have done an Instagram post. And last year was just so crazy. I didn't blog a whole lot at all last year because the whole soccer thing just yeah. made us nuts. But when I started thinking about it, I thought, okay, so you want a review? You want a recommendation? I sent that book to every one of my godchildren. <laughs> that, was, <Yeah. laughs> that was the book 
that they got last year. And, and for someone who knows all, it. you know, so many Advent and Christmas picture books. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and you know, and that I have, you know, I've got children who are, are well past the picture book stage. They got it too. They all got it. And so I think that's probably the best recommendation and the best if you had to pick just one. And then I think I would choose a, a really nice picture book of the Christmas story, the actual. Jan Ray's got a book of, or Jane Ray, of the, the Christmas story, a picture book that the actual text from the Bible. Okay. That you have to unwrap Christmas Eve. Okay. It's Jane Ray. It's called The Story of Christmas. And there are large pictures and there's symbols in it from ancient and modern folk art that illustrates the Christmas story. The text is taken directly from the King James Version of the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. So it's a beautiful book for fathers to read aloud oh, on Christmas okay. Eve. Like okay. it's just, you know, it's pure scripture and it's a sophisticated picture book. It's, it's one of those ones that harkens back to the, the whole, that C.S. Lewis adage when picking a children's story, you know, a children's story that can only in, be enjoyed by children is not a good children's story. Yes. Or no book worth reading at the age of 10 is not equally or often more worth reading at the age of 50. Yes. This book, this picture book is definitely a whole family picture book, you know, and it's pure scripture with gorgeous art. And so I think that one is one. Watch, it'll be out of print. <laughs> I didn't check to see if it was out of print before. I, <laughs> well, we'll link um, to wherever we can find it. <laughs> but that's one. It. You know, it's an art book that has pure scripture. It's got, it's the whole shebang. And it's one that you'll revisit every year, even if you don't, you know, buy into a lot of picture books. And then the other thing I would say is go to the library and go to the library website right now and yes. reserve before <laughs> everybody else does. You know, just get them and reserve you know, maybe do one a week instead of every day and really get to know that book well and live it and love it and let it become part of your family culture. The other thing is if you have older kids and you want to pull them into this idea of maybe centering your December literature around books that, that don't fight the season, mm -hmm. but instead, yeah. you know, play with the season. There's a great anthology called Christmas with Anne and Other Holiday Stories, and it's edited by Ree Wilmshurst, and it's a, a collection of short stories by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Oh my goodness, um, I need to get that was, for my daughter. Yeah, it's gorgeous. <laughs> and it was published in magazines, and the, the, the stories were published in magazines like in the early 1900s. Two of the stories are from the Anna Green Gables series, but like the books, the stories, you know, they can sometimes be overly sentimental, but they're, they're all Christmas stories. And there's just something compelling and good about Montgomery's characters and her plots that, you know, makes the sweetness satisfying instead of sickening yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. So if your children haven't met Anne, the book is a really nice introduction. And if they know her well, they'll love the two Christmas stories, you know, that are in there. And Little House has another a collection of all the Little House yes. Christmas stories in one book. And so if your kids are familiar with the Little House stories, to have them all together is, it's just really nice. It's like watching, you know, a Little House Christmas special exactly. binge. Yes. You know, so that's <laughs> a really nice thing to do. Another one that's good for children who are a little older that's not truly a picture book is Papa's Angels by Paxton, I think. I don't think I've seen that one. Okay. So this is one that I read in one sitting and I cried through it. It's an easy read. Like you could read it in one sitting, but it's deep and it's thoughtful and it's dark and haunting. It's told through the eyes of a gifted 12-year-old writer 
named Becca, who lives with her father and four younger siblings in Appalachia. And it's the story of her father's grief because he's lost his wife to an illness just Mm -hmm. before Christmas. And Papa retreats more and more into his sorrow and the children become increasingly hopeless that they'll, uh, they're worried that they're just, they've lost him too. You know, that he'll never sing again and he'll never laugh. And their grandmother tries to keep alive the flickers of hope and she guides them to see how they can help him and stir him out of that misery and grief place. So there are um, songs interspersed throughout the book that Papa composed when he was happier. And in the end, music and the children bring him back from the loss. But the book is just, it's just rich and layered and gorgeous. And so it's wholly appropriate for older children and for, for doing like a novel study. You know, let's look at how this book is written and what it does. Another book that I think is suitable for older children that is a picture book is The Christmas Miracle of Jonathan Toomey. Oh my goodness. That book is, I love, love that book. It's just classic. I mean, it's such a good book on so many levels. And older kids can see the intricacies and the depth of it and appreciate it beyond just the story. And if you're really brave, there's room there for older kids to do some wood carving and to try this. There's also a little tangent where you can do some research on St. Francis of Assisi, who brought us the whole idea of having a crash and a manger scene. And there's some really interesting stories to find out there about how he had a dream that this had to be done, how he went and found someone who could do it for him. There were no wood carvers in his neighborhood. So much like Jonathan's mother, you know, he had to seek somebody out and, and how he chose what to put. There's, there's some real research opportunities for an older child that you use a book as a jumping off point and off you go. And research possibilities for older kids around Advent books are in the plenty. I yeah. mean, there are so many things you can have them researching and looking at, you know, open a Jan Brett book and look around the margins and, and maybe click on the Jan Brett site and hear her talk about why she did what she did in any particular book. And you're off into all kinds of cultures. I know. I love that because nothing it, is put there by accident in her really. No, it's all intentional. And, yeah. you know, and you look along the borders of her books and she's foreshadowing what's coming in the book. So, okay, now let's talk about foreshadowing. You know, there's just so much that you can do if you're reading them attentively with your kids that you don't necessarily have to plan for, but you just have to seize as the teachable moment. Well, Elizabeth, this has been amazing. You've got me all excited. I actually, as you were talking, I was throwing some of the books you recommended into my Amazon cart. (laughs) And before anybody else, right? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Isn't that terrible? (laughs) Before we air this and everybody buys them. (laughs) This has been wonderful. And for all of our listeners, Elizabeth has some amazing resources for reading through Advent and Christmas. We'll make sure we link to them all in the show notes. So if you head to readaloudrevival.com and look for episode 36, you'll be able to find Elizabeth's best stuff on Advent and Christmas. And Elizabeth, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. You are so welcome. I really enjoyed it. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. Hi, my name is Emma. I'm eight years old, and I live in Texas. I just read a book called Mercy Watson's The Rescue. My favorite character was Mercy Watson, and she was a pig. The funniest part in the book 
was when Eugenia was chasing Mercy. Mercy ended up rescuing Mr. and Mrs. Watson on accident. It was Eugenia who really called the fire department. My name is Bethany, age is nine years old, and I live in Victoria, Australia, and I like Little House in the Prairie because it tells you what, when, how they made the house and their beds and how their chimney went on fire, and it is very funny. I hope other kids like this book as well. My name is James and I am seven. I live in Victoria in Australia. I like the boxcar children because they solve mysteries. They were detectives. They first didn't want their grandfather to find them because they, their grandfather didn't like their mother. So they thought their grandpa, their grandfather wouldn't like them. So they ran away. On the way, they found bakery and they and the bakers had said they would do work for them but they were doing it in a secret conversation so they were only allowed so they had to run away they found the boxcar in the woods and I also like Cyclopedia Brown he solves mysteries and you can try and solve the mystery by yourself and because there are answers at the end of the book. Hi, my name is Nicholas. I live in Portland, Oregon. I'm six years old, and my favorite book is The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. I like that book because it's really interesting. What's your name? Joe. What's your favorite book? Hmm. Is it Star Wars? Yeah! What do you like about Star Wars? Oh, you like the lightsabers? Yeah. Oh, how fun. Yeah. Is there anything else you like? No. Okay. How old are you? Two. Where do you live? Hmm? Hmm? Do you live at home? Yeah. (laughs) You say bye? Bye. Hello, my name is Mabel, and I'm nine years old, and I really like the book, The Horse and His Boy. It's by C.S. Lewis, and it's about... A horse and his boy. And the horse is the horse of a great lord. And the boy is a prince who doesn't really know that he's a prince. And he thinks that he's the son of a fisherman. And it's a really exciting book. And it's in the Chronicles of Narnia. Thank you so much, kids. That is so much fun. I loved hearing from you. Good episode, right? So many inspiring insights and good book recommendations from Elizabeth Foss. If you want to find out more from Elizabeth, you can go straight to her website at elizabethfoss.com or you can head to today's show notes where you'll see links to every single book that we mentioned in the show. So head to readaloudrevival.com and look for episode 36. We'll show you exactly the books she recommended as well as send you over to her best Advent resources. So head to the show notes to get more information on all of that. Don't forget, you can grab a gift subscription for your own family or someone else that you love at readaloudrevival.com. Just click on Discover Membership and you'll be on your way. 
Our next episode of the podcast won't be until after Christmas, but I hope to see you on December 13th inside Read Aloud Revival membership at our live author access event with John Erickson. We're going to be chatting up Hank the Cowdog, and it is going to be a blast. We'll be back with more podcasts to help you inspire a love of reading in your home and to help you build a family culture around books right after Christmas. So I wish you a most blessed, merry, happy Christmas. And we'll see you soon after that. But don't forget in the meantime to be building your family culture around books all season long. God bless you. Thank you.